We've been talking about our values. Um, we spoke about uh, six, eight weeks ago, someplace in there, about lordship. Uh, we also spoke about evangelism. We had Pastor Rice Brooks in to do that. We then talked about, for three or four weeks, discipleship, contextualized it in prayer, but then ended with what it meant to really follow Christ, to be a disciplined follower of Jesus. This week, we're going to continue with leadership development. And next week, we will end with family. So we've got five values through which we run every decision we make in this house. Lordship, evangelism, discipleship, leadership development, and family. Turn with me over to 2 Timothy, please. 2 Timothy. We're going to look at chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 14. The title of the message today is Leadership Development, Guarding the Treasure. Leadership Development. Guarding the treasure. 2 Timothy 1.14. Paul is writing, and he says this to Timothy. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Lord, help us as we study. There are three things upon which I wish to speak regarding this. One, how it's important for us to receive and how we do that. Two, how we need to retain what we get. And three, how, do, how we need to release that which we retain. Paul is writing here, and Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He was easily the foremost apostle of doctrine and church practice for all that needs to be done throughout all of history. Uh, his understanding of how to appropriate the cross of Christ and the resurrection and the Holy Spirit's movement in the church is unparalleled. That doesn't mean he was the greatest apostle. It meant, it meant that that was his role in the church. He, Peter, James, John, all of them had their role, but this was his. And he was a fine penman with respect to making sure that things that were born of the Holy Spirit for the benefit of our church architecture got penned. He's amazing. He happens to be writing to one of his sons in the Lord here, Timothy. Now, Timothy, when I say son in the Lord, it does not mean that Paul actually birthed him as his father. It meant that he acquired Timothy in his, when Timothy was a teenager in one of Paul's travels. And as Paul was traveling, he would see certain men and certain women who could then be a part of his team as he went about planting churches and advancing the kingdom. Timothy happened to be <clears throat> the son of a, a woman who we believe was a host of Paul for Paul when Paul came to a city called Lystra in Acts chapter 17. His dad, Timothy's dad, was Greek. Mother was Jewish. But Timothy was spoken of well by everybody who knew him. So he was a fine young man. We think he was probably about 17 years old when Paul found him. Paul said, can I have him? I think, I think there's something of an inheritance I want to give him. The parents sowed Timothy into Paul's ministry. And then Paul raised him up to be what he is now. Well, then. When, when Paul is writing here, Timothy happens to be the pastor, the lead pastor of the church at Ephesus which has tens of thousands of believers. At this point, somewhere, Timothy is in his early 40s, late 30s. And he is trying to figure out how to do leadership when he doesn't seem to be res as respected as he should be there in Ephesus because there are other people with a lot of gray hair that think they know just as much, if not more. Yet Paul has told Timothy, you stay there and lead, and I will give you counsel as to how best to lead this church. Here, in, in the second book of Timothy, uh, the second letter, second book, the first book, Paul is writing, and he gives him counsel. Second book, it's a, it has a, a little bit different tone to it than just church government. 
Paul is, is uh, pulling on his relational heartstrings because Paul is writing from prison when he writes this letter. And it's a, it's a prison sentence from which he would not exit. He wouldn't get out of this one. He'd die. And in this letter, he realizes that. It's not just what Rome has said. He's heard from God. You're done. And Paul says, I've, I've run my race. I've finished my course. And he's begging Timothy to come. Come, please. And he's not begging Timothy to come just for relationship. It's not that he's so lonely that he's asking Timothy to leave his post and come hang. It's that he wants to give Timothy something. There's an inheritance that's supposed to be passed down from father to son. This was a Hebrew tradition. It happened when Jacob was about to pass and he brought all of his sons before him and he laid a blessing on every one of them, spoke something prophetic over their lives. It happened with Isaac when Isaac did it with Jacob and Esau. It was a Hebrew custom to make sure that dads left something more than just money. Money would go in a hurry and a spiritual inheritance doesn't. So there was a sense of destiny. He's saying, come be with me because I got something to give you. And so he's beckoning Timothy to visit him while he's imprisoned in Rome. And in the midst of that, though, he's writing some things that are really important, knowing that these are his last words in pen to Timothy. And he says, I want you to guard the deposit. Make sure that you don't neglect the things that have been entrusted to you, the treasure that God has given you. And you, you can only do it well by the Holy Spirit. The implication is that if, if Timothy is to guard something, that he's already received something. And so I want to ratchet it back a little bit because I might be speaking to some people who have nothing to guard. And therefore, it's kind of irrelevant if I just go ahead and talk about guarding when you don't feel like you've got anything to protect. How's your relationship with the Lord? Do you have one? I imagine most of you are really strong believers. I'm going to give you the great benefit of the doubt. That you're doing everything at a very high level. That you, you aren't ever stooping down to the lowest common denominator of what can be done rather than what should be done. That you love scripture so much that all you want to do every day is just bring a smile to the face of God because you want to do the highest, not the least. You want to maximize every opportunity for the kingdom, not try to figure out what you can get out of it. I'm assuming that. But then there are some who have just maybe come around. You enjoy what, 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 what God is doing here. You're not quite able to put all your, your hands around it and, and grasp it, but you know the Holy Spirit is doing something, and, and you've added a week to, an hour to your weak life to do, to do church, but you really haven't given your heart to him. You haven't repented. You haven't come to the knowledge of the truth that your whole life needs to be his. That you're cry right now you're kind of trying to construct an extra room on the house you've got. And you're hoping it, it, that God will bless it. It's just kind of a spiritual room. And everything else you want to keep. Not realizing that the rest of the house has already been condemned. It's, it's not reparable. You can't fix it. It's been condemned. The wrecking ball is on the way. Everything about who you are, if you don't know Jesus, has to die. It can't be fixed. There's no reformation for you. Now, 
if you do things better than you did, if you improve in your behavior, that's always good. Please do that, even if you don't get right. Be a better person. But that won't get you saved. And it won't get you any points with God. It won't get you to heaven. It won't get your sins forgiven. It won't change anything eternally. It will help people get along with you better here. And it will help you to help other people get along better in life. But it won't do anything eternally. So I'm going to start from, have you received? Have you, have you, do, do you understand anything about the revelation that is needed in order for you to be right with God? Because to get right with God takes more than just information. What you're getting from me is information. And I can tell you all day long the right thing to do. But if God, if, if, if your heart has not been softened to the degree where God can plant his seed of revelation in it, my information only makes you smarter, not better. Revelation makes you better because it makes you different. Now, that doesn't mean you don't need information because information is kind of like the plow that prepares the soil to receive the seed. And so the information I'm giving helps you understand what you need to do. And so I am glad you are here, really glad, and I hope you keep coming. But remember, the information is not the goal. The, inf the information is the preparatory stuff to get the revelation from God about who he is. And when you get the revelation, all of a sudden, salvation is right there. You just grab it. It's right at your hand. Because the revelation helps you understand who God is, why Jesus came, and understanding of the gospel that you were hopeless without God's intervention. You could not fix your condition. You could not help yourself to get right with him. The chasm was too wide between your sin and his perfection, and it could not be bridged by any good work. As a result, God said, I love them too much to, to have them suffer for their own misdeeds, so I'm going to figure out a way to bridge the gap. I'm going to send my son in a human body. He then is going to live the life they should have lived, died the death they should have died. Go be buried in a grave, rise on the third day. Because he's committed no sin, he can rise because the only way somebody can, can have death hold them is if they have sinned because the wages of sin is death. Jesus never sinned, so he lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died, died in our place. Death could not hold him, so he rose from the dead, never more to be subject to the elementary principles of this world. As a result, he now, taking your death, can give you his life. Information. Revelation says this. I got it. I need to change. I can't keep living the way I'm living. I got it. Oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay, okay. And then we get to the place where you say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry for the way I've lived. I really messed up my life and so many others. Forgive me. Forgive me for everything I've done, everything I've said, all I've thought. Forgive me for ignoring your goodness for years and passing by the cross every day, basically saying, I want to do it my way. I'm sorry. And I choose not to live that way anymore. I turn from everything I know that was, that was the way I wanted to do life. I turn from all my sin, and I choose to follow whatever you say. That's salvation. 
Because salvation allows you the privilege of experiencing what it's like to no longer have to suffer for your, 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 your sin, your misdeeds. You don't have to endure the consequences of them. Salvation is that which saves you from you. You need to be saved from you. You are your, you are your own worst enemy. Somebody came to me and said, you know, the devil causes a lot of stuff wrong in the world, right, Pastor? I said, yeah, he does. He's, he's a bad dude. He said, well, why didn't God just get rid of him? Why didn't he just get rid of him? You got a good point. I, that, that might, that's not a bad idea right there. That's not bad. But I'm not him, and he knows best. But, but, but let, 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 me, let, let me ask you a question. See, the, the, the devil is just a being. He's created. We believe a fallen angel. And he's locked up in sin. He cannot repent. He is the embodiment of evil in the world, but he is a created being. He is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He's not omnipresent, so he's not every place at once. He's not all-powerful. God is. God's the only one who is. He does have some power. He's got influence, but he's not all that. He's just a created being. So... If he's just a created being and can only be in one place at one time, do you think he's spending all his time tempting you to do wrong? I mean, I'm not, I'm not minimizing your importance on the planet, but, but do, you, do you really think that you deserve that much attention? Well, I, I, don't, I said, I think he's probably finding the next great antichrist and prepping him for his duties. I think that's probably what he's doing. I don't know who that is, but, or maybe a group of people that will be the Antichrist, embodiments of Antichrist. I think he's probably doing that. So, like, if he's not bothering you every day, is he really the problem? I mean, if God got rid of him, you'd still be here. In fact, I think the devil kind of says about most of us, I don't have to do nothing with them. They'll mess up all by themselves. <laughs> They're going downhill fast. They're just rolling with sin. Yeah, they got it, they got it good. They got it going on like that. I, I really don't have to work with them. They'll, they'll go to hell all by themselves. We are our own worst enemy. And there's no fixing us. The only way to deal with us is to let us die. You got to go to the cross. That's why Jesus said, pick it up, follow me. It's the only way to get right. Pick up your cross and follow me if you want to be my disciple. We die. It's not about reformation. It's not about creating better habits on your part, changing your behavior. It's about transformation on the inside. When that transformation happens down here, it automatically affects all of your behavior out here. So it's not about trying to, try, trying to, to reform the actions, words, mind, and, and thoughts in order to affect change in here. It can't be done. When God creates you, recreates you from the point of repentance where you turn away from everything you knew to be sin and now follow him with all of your heart, your heart gets changed. A brand new human being emerges. Jesus says you get born again. You get a brand new start. The old person is gone. The new has come, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 
and you get to start all over. Now, do you still have bad habits you got to overcome? Absolutely. And the new you is constantly trying to figure out how to emerge through this flesh that wants to take it in the different direction. But it's important for you to know that this is not just a reformation process. It starts as transformation on the inside. That's what God offers with respect to salvation. And there is great hope in that. Because I am not the same human being I used to be. And it's not because I just figured out a way to become a really good professional. It's that I stayed in the presence of God and read my Bible. And I submitted myself to him and raised the white flag over my life. And I said, I quit trying to do it Brett's way. I submit to yours. And as a result, he took Brett and made him what he never could be on his own. Is that Have I arrived? (laughs) Not close. Do I still have flaws? More than my wife wants to count. (laughs) But most of us started from behind the starting line. We didn't start at the beginning. We started way behind the starting line. It took me 15 years just to get to the starting line. God is merciful. And by his grace, if I keep eating right and working out and trusting in him for for, for strength and mercy and pray, I might be able to live long enough whereby I say, I, I cross the finish line, as I should. I didn't just cross. I didn't just stop living. I actually did what I was supposed to do when God thought about creating bread. Which leads me to my last point. First was Revelation Second is salvation. Third is calling. God is the only one who can give you calling. Your purpose and your destiny come from him. I can't do that. I can't give revelation. I can't give salvation. I can't give calling. Destiny, purpose. You need to figure out what that is. And do not relegate calling and purpose to just being that which is seen here in the pulpit or from a stage articulating the message. Calling and purpose is for anybody who loves him. He's got, a, he's got an idea about about how you ought to be and what you ought to do. Paul thought it so important that in, first, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, he starts in verse 18 saying, Church at Ephesus, I want the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of his calling you. What that means is, I want your eyes and your heart to be opened so you can understand the purpose for him creating you. Every parent has an idea about how they want their children to be. They don't craft it. They don't map out a plan and say, you have to do this, 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 and this. But when that child comes out of the womb, they are filled with hope about what can happen. Who is this child going to impact? How are they going to make their mark on the world? Every parent thinks that. Well, God thinks that about you. He has an idea about who you are to be and what you're supposed to do. Now, we parents can't map it out for our kids because we don't know the future. He does, so he can map out what our good works ought to be, Ephesians 2.10, that we should walk in. He can map out all those and plan out what tomorrow's look like for us. And when we submit to that, we run into our destiny and purpose. Now, remember, the entire book of Genesis is filled with a whole lot of great ministers who were never ordained. They didn't go to seminary. They didn't get a degree. But we will all be looking at the back of Abraham's head in glory. With binoculars, most of us. (laughs) We'll be so far from the throne and he will be so close. 
Isaac, these weren't preachers. They were businessmen, farmers, herdsmen, shepherds. Noah, farmer, farmer. Please be encouraged that you don't have to have a rev in front of your name in order to be spiritually significant. You don't have to have a deacon title. You don't have to have, you just have to be a really good Christian that loves people. And you can have an impact in the world. Figure out what God has called you to do in your sphere. Business, athletics, arts, community, neighborhood, figure it out. God calls and everybody he has called to do something special. In, in, the, in, in the process of receiving, there, there's also what you need to receive from men. Now, I can't, again, I can't give revelation, I can't save, and I can't call. But man is supposed to do three other things, among many others. One, disciple. Jesus could disciple. He could disciple everybody on the planet at the same time and show up in the room. It'd be cool. But he has not done that. And he has made it normative for the church to do discipleship. The last words he said before he left were these. Go into all of the world and preach this gospel, making disciples of all nations. And so the, the disciples' responsibility was to, was to replicate themselves in nations. That means that you are helping people understand what it means to be a really good follower of Jesus. And if you are not being discipled, and you are not discipling, you are missing out on something that is critical to your progress. Critical. I'm glad you are a believer. Happy. But please remember that there is nothing in Scripture that ever separated a believer from a disciple. Yet we in Western Christianity have done that, that you can actually... Believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and all the orthodoxy, but not follow him diligently nor submit yourself to somebody else who can help you follow him better. But in the, in the scriptures, if you, were, if you were a believer, oh, you, who's, your, who's, your, who, who's your pastor? Who's discipling you? you? You were seen as somebody who could be trusted because there was an authority structure in your life that allowed you the privilege of using somebody else's success as your springboard to progress. Are you listening to me? That's what discipleship does. When you say, Pastor, I'm here on Sunday morning and I'm listening to you. Isn't that discipleship? Part. Partly. But I don't know you. I don't know your blind spots. I don't know how you speak to your friends. I don't know how you run your business. I don't know how you treat your spouse. I don't know how you raise your kids. Somebody should to help you in the areas that you lack and especially the areas where you don't think you need any help. You think you got it. That's where you need the most help because your pride is going to be your downfall. Everybody else sees where you need help but you. You're always the last one to know. Because the insecurity on the inside of you does not want to reflect weakness or acknowledge it. Therefore, you cover it up, build up walls of defenses, hoping that your mask is going to let everybody else see only what you want them to see. It doesn't work. And what you need to do is take it off, get in a small group. Let somebody get in your life a little bit. Oh, yes, it is uncomfortable. About as uncomfortable as a, as a, as a physical checkup. I'm 55. It was better when I was 18. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. It was much better at 18. Much better at 18. 
But I submit to my doctor because I want to live till I'm 100. Are you listening to me? I don't even like him very much. Now, I'm in great shape. I'm physically on top of it. He's asking me what I do. How do you get this fit? But he tells me stuff sometimes I don't want to hear. And I've got to go and say, okay, I need to adjust this, adjust that, adjust that. And some of the tests are not those which I enjoy. But I go through them because I want to be here for a long time. And I don't want anything to take me out prematurely. I don't want my pride to get in the way of my progress for the benefit of others. That's what discipleship is. Somebody needs your good leadership, and right now you're in the way. Let somebody get in your life. And if you've got, if you've got a lot of maturity, a lot of it, then you need to probably start helping somebody else. And if you're not, you're missing out on the privilege of seeing God do something beyond yourself in somebody so that he can replicate the kingdom beyond your little influence, beyond what you can do. Because when you disciple somebody, this is why Jesus said, it's better that I go. When he left, the Holy Spirit got on the inside of these other people. And now there were 120 on the day of Pentecost, little, if you will, Jesuses, walking around doing the same stuff that he did. In fact, his, his detractors, Jesus Christ's detractors, were saying this when they saw the disciples doing every, miracles and preaching. They said this, didn't we kill that guy? That's breath prayer face. Didn't we kill that guy? Yeah, they're doing the same stuff he did. And so you need to figure out how in the world you can be an influence to somebody else. Discipleship. Secondly, equipping. This is what the church does for leadership development. Discipleship is about character development. It's about being more like Jesus. It's about responding well in your circumstances. Equipping is about skill sets, becoming more capable in your environment, understanding what it means to be a good minister and knowing where to turn in the scriptures. I disciple businessmen. I disciple ministers, I disciple worship leaders, I disciple a lot of people, and I equip them so that they can do what they need to do better. So with respect to being a minister, guys come to me, women come to me, I sit down with them and say, this is how you interpret scripture. This is what it means to be a good exegete. And then you've got to develop a hermeneutic. A hermeneutic means the entire message of the Bible so that it fits together hand in glove beautifully. So your exegetical passage here doesn't conflict with this one over here. There's got to be a tie, an overarching tie that allows everything to fit together because God has one message, one, and it doesn't conflict any place. So we've got to have a good hermeneutic. And then you've got to be able to say it right. I mean, you can't just get up and say, um, God said he wants to love you, and um, yeah, it's in the Bible, and uh, it's really neat. Read it sometime. <sighs> Boy, I love Jesus so much. You've got to say something that people want to hear. And, and you've got to say it right. Don't, don't say, uh, unless you are intentional. Now, I'm specific like this. No us. No us ever, ever. Unless you mean, uh, and you really want to make a point. I was talking with someone who, who was praying one day. And, and they were, they prayed like this. Lord God, I love you, Lord God. And I thank you, Lord God, because, Lord God, you're helping me today. And, Lord God, you're amazing, Lord God. You, 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 you give me strength, Lord God, and you help my family, Lord God. And, Lord God, you, you, I, I'm great. And he, he said, Lord God, in a 30-second prayer, 84 times. I'm exaggerating, 27. 27. So... I, I sat there and I said, I said, I love, the, I love you, you communicate with the Father. That's beautiful. 
but you, do you know God knows his name? <laughs> I, I, I'm, 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 you, you know he knows his name. You know you said Lord God 27 times? Why? He didn't know. It wasn't because he was trying to be super respectful. He just didn't know what else to say. It was his spiritual uh. I said, you can't do that in public if you want to pray. Now, you can do whatever you want in your private time. I would encourage you to change your vernacular so you can communicate better. Because if anybody talked to me like you talked to God, I think something was wrong with them. <laughs> Pastor Brett, uh, I love you, Pastor Brett. I appreciate Pastor Brett, your ministry, Pastor Brett. You're an amazing man, Pastor Brett. Pastor Brett. <laughs> Is something wrong with you? Are you okay? Are you, are you off your meds? I mean, what... But because we put it in a religious context, everybody thinks that's holy. When it's different. It's just flat different. So that's how I disciple people with respect to equipping, helping them understand you want to present in such a way that people are going to listen to what you have to say and do it in a way that you, you build credibility with them. You're going to have to speak at a high level. You may not be able to wordsmith life like I've been doing it for the last 35 years, but you will get there if you stay on this path. And by God's grace, you will exceed me far. So equipping. Lastly is deployment. We are people that need to deploy, folks. This is what the church does. Sure, God sends, but it's the unusual thing when he sends without a sending people. If you're someplace where there is not a church and the Lord calls you to go, much like he called Abraham, I'm all for it. That is fabulous. But the, but the normative practice is for the church to be the sending body or an organization that is spiritual in its orientation to be the sending body that allows somebody to be supported when they go. Not even Paul decided to go until he was sent. Now, he was in a formative stage when he first got born again. And, 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 and <laughs> Paul's a little bit different. Um, Paul wasn't sent. They asked him to leave. He was there in Damascus after he got right with God. And after he got right with God and Ananias discipled him, he started preaching to everybody all the time. He was so bold that he was causing trouble for the entire group of people in Damascus. And they had to lower him in a basket over the city wall to get him out of the city because he couldn't go through the gate. They'd kill him. When he got to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 9, end of chapter 9, it said Paul was preaching. It said before he got there that the church enjoyed peace and favor. <laughs> when he got there, turmoil. When he left, peace and favor. Paul, they asked Paul, could you go please? And he went out of the wilderness, did some stuff, came back, finally realized. And remember, this was a formative process in the church of understanding what order looked like. And he came back and submitted his doctrine to the, the apostles. Peter, James, John talked to him about it. They said, sounds good to me. You've been out there ministering great. Why did he do that? Because he didn't want to be out of order. He was out there preaching the gospel, but the Holy Spirit told him, you shouldn't do this without the other leadership that I've got. Went back to Jerusalem tied himself there. Then he was sent to Antioch and stayed in Antioch until they, they, they were praying and fasting and the Holy Spirit said in Acts 13, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. And then he goes out, but the, he was sent by Antioch. 
And here we've got the foremost apostle who probably could do what he wanted to do, yet he submitted himself to his authority because he realized this is proper order. So when we talk about leadership development, the church sends, and I love to send. Secondly, what it means to retain. You got to keep some stuff. You can't just, just act like it's going to stay. There is, a, there is a battle for the stuff that is valuable in your life. You ever seen a nugget of gold on, on, on daily in Brookfield? Lying in the middle of the street, big old two-pound nugget? Doesn't exist. You won't find a 20-carat diamond just lying on the sidewalk. Things that are valuable have been hidden. Whether it's in a safety deposit box Whether God hid them in the heart of the earth, they are hidden. And somebody who gets them needs to make sure that they are guarded well. You've been given the most powerful and and, and needed revelation about who God is in the history of mankind. There's nothing greater than who Jesus Christ is. No information better. No revelation more profound than that. That is as deep as it gets in God. Who Jesus Christ is. Do you guard it? Is it in the vault of your heart? Do you allow the enemy to assault you regularly with with ideas that come from the outside about who his person is that are not based on scripture? Is he just another good guru to you? Someone who had some good ideas and died for a good cause? Or is he God Almighty? distinct from everybody else you've got to guard that because the world will tell you different you better you better tend to that you better tend to your salvation experience you better tend to your marriage you better tend to your relationships you better tend to your truth your doctrine you better tend to these things and guard them because they are valuable he says make sure timothy you guard the treasure which has been entrusted to you by the holy spirit And you need the Holy Spirit's power to help you guard these things. How do we retain? We guard. Secondly, we grow. We grow in understanding of who we are to be as people. You don't just just set yourself up in a defensive posture by saying, don't take. You get offensive. And you begin to say, Lord... I don't want to stay here. I want to, I want to get down the road of what you want to do in my life. I want to grow. I don't want to be, I don't want to look in the mirror of scripture a year from now and be the same person. I want to see somebody different. I want to guard my progress. I don't want to be stagnant. Same thing with your calling. Grow in your calling. Lastly, we need to be people that learn how to release. Leadership development is all about releasing. Jared Green got up today and was doing all the transition. Jared's all of 27, 28 years old. Daddy of two. He did a fabulous job, sort of. <laughs> In the second service, he was dynamite. He was amazing. Knocked it out of the park. I said, go, boy, go. First service, he was pitiful. <laughs> Just flat pitiful. This is the process, though. How in the world do you raise up people unless you give them a shot? And I trust that man. He is flat anointed. You're not going to find a young man more grace to minister the gospel than him. Maybe some equal, but none more. 
passionate about what it means to articulate truth, loves ministering the gospel to the unbeliever, wants to disciple and see people raised up, they don't come any better than that man. Privileged to be able to work with him. I don't have time. Don't clap. But I need you to know that we care about what it means to release. So we baby boomers, I'm at the back end of the baby boomers. Boy, these millennials do stuff different. They think different. And then they're way out of the box all the time. I love it, though. And that's the generation that's coming up. And our job is to deploy them in our jobs. Someday I'm not going to be doing this. But it will not be because I can't. I'm going to have a fastball for a long time. I'm not going to be throwing junk at you. Sliders, curves. I'm going to have a fastball for a long time. But you probably won't receive it very often. I'm 55. Now, I feel 28. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I say 25, but it sounds too stupid. I feel great, strong, graced, in the presence of God on a regular basis. I'm just grateful to my God for helping me feel the way I do at 55. And I know I'll be able to go just like this for the next 20 because I don't plan to depart from my routine that keeps me healthy of staying in his presence, eating right, working out. The the promise of Caleb will be mine that the Lord spoke to me 40 years ago. These 40 years, God has kept me, and I am as strong today as I was then. He was 85. I believe God's going to do that for me. I can't guarantee it, but I'm trusting. But it doesn't matter about how capable I am because he's next. David Hermes is next. Miata is next. There's a bunch of nexts out there. And yes, they think differently than we baby boomers. And they think out of the box, and I'm trying to always put them back in. But I love it. And there's no protectedness on my part. I want to work myself out of a job. Because when they succeed, I succeed. Please don't. Thanks. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Who thought it was a good idea for the best pastor in the history of humanity to go? In his prime, he was 33 and a half. He was God Almighty on the planet. He knew more than the aggregate wisdom of all of humanity about how life should be done. Who thought that was good to go? Jesus said, it's better that I go. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come to reside in you. I don't know how it is that you can't have two presences, of, of the, two parts of the Trinity right here at the same time on earth. I don't get it all. But I do know this, that he left, and now the disciples began the process of replication untold until it got to us. It was better that Christ went. And he was in his prime. He desired to have other people be successful, not just him. And so we, we want to do everything we can to release people into their destiny. And if it means I work myself out of a job, then I have done my job. So three things. One, we need to sow indiscriminately. Two, we need to make sure we plant intentionally. And three, we need to nurture and grow. 
If you're going to be a good leader that raises up leaders, you've got to sow indiscriminately. Broadcast. Get, get seed out there and see where it falls and what happens to it. Because you, you, you want to plant, but planting is, is individual and it takes time. And, 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 and the individual needs the kind of input that you should give, but you might miss opportunities without the sowing. And Jesus talked about how the sower went out to sow the word. So there ought to be broadcast opportunities for every person who considers himself a leader to get as much word out there as possible. Secondly, there ought to be intentional sowing opportunities because you want to make sure that you are inputting to somebody who you believe can really add value to the kingdom and bring progress to others around him. And then lastly, you want to see those people nurtured and developed so that they can be released into their destiny and purpose. This is what leadership development looks like for us. This is what we live for. And really, the only reason, eh, not the only, one of the primary reasons that I keep getting up happy, I've done more than I ever thought I would, ever. All I wanted to do when I became pastor is to have a church large enough to make my mama happy. And to provide for my salary. I said, if I can do that, I'll be set. Because mama was always worried about me. I never thought I'd have you think that I was worthy of being listened to. I never thought we'd have this building. I never, never, beyond my wildest dreams. So if I checked out tomorrow, I could go to heaven really happy. Thinking, God, you squeezed as much juice out of this little black man as you possibly could. <laughs> I, go to, I go to heaven happy. But I keep waking up, and I'm happy because when I wake up now, I'm waking up for my baby girl. I'm waking up for Jared. I'm waking up for all my kids. I'm waking up for the entire second generation to be great. That's why I live, among many other reasons. Let's pray.